Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, good morning, Crossroads. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration uh, where we love celebrating Jesus even amidst times of great just trial and pain and grief. And um, I was talking with the praise team this morning and sharing that even though we had a bunch of mass shootings last weekend, there were still shootings all over this past weekend. And uh, our nation is just on a course where this uprising of violence is becoming normative when it shouldn't be. Uh, and, and the bad thing is, it's a lot of younger people who are doing it, who have no respect for life or understanding of how precious life is. So um, what I wanted to do was start this morning, first and foremost, praying for the families of all the shootings last week uh, and uh, include in the families that are hurting from the shootings this week. Last week, it wasn't just Buffalo. There was California, North Carolina, Texas, Wisconsin. Those were mass shootings. We don't even know about the places where there was just individual shootings that took place all over the place. So uh, I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to start just by praying for these communities. So God, we, we lift up the families of all of these communities and the ones that we didn't mention, uh, where just mass violence took place, where loss of life took place. We understand that these families are grieving. Uh, we pray that we, the body of Christ, would begin to have more conversations about treasuring life, about how important it is to respect life. Uh, we pray that in our nation, uh, that we would just join together and help these communities heal from the hurt. But we also pray for the people and the pastors who want to have the conversations that says that, hey, this is wrong, and that we as communities and as the people of God need to do better. We pray that we also realize this isn't a political battle, but a spiritual one. And we pray your blessing on all of these families. We pray that you would lift them up, that you would give them the peace and the comfort that they need as they just grieve with the loss of loved ones. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. All right, as you are making your way, back to your seats and getting situated. I feel like the topic we're talking about this morning is one of the most important, um, but it's also one of the most controversial. And we're continuing in the series we have called I Have a Friend Who Says, where we're looking at how we can have conversations with people who ask us why we believe what we believe. But we're also looking at some of the really tough topics that people are not comfortable talking about. Uh, we're looking at some of the topics that some people say this is why they're walking away from the church, uh, and we're not trying to criticize them, but we are trying to say, hey, here's what the Word of God says about all of these topics. And um, the topic that we're going to talk about this morning is a little controversial. It's uh, those people who say that Christians don't talk about racism. And whether we want to admit it or not, a lot of Christians have a tough time talking about this topic in the church. 
So before we go any further, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and we're going to pray uh, as we talk about this topic. God, uh, as we just talk about this topic, we ask first and foremost that your Holy Spirit would guide our conversation, uh, would lead us through your word, and would just already be at moving in the hearts of us that are maybe getting a little bit uncomfortable and defensive with this topic. But I pray that this morning you would reveal your truth uh, to all of us, to anyone that is willing to listen uh, on how you see people, period. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, granted, again, tough topic to talk about, uh, no matter where you go in the nation or the world, hard topic to discuss, uh, mostly because the media and the news kind of pull us in one direction or the other. <clears throat> but it should be as easy for us to talk about racism as it is when we talk about, if we talk about lying, right? Because lying is a sin, so we say, don't lie. Uh, if we talk about stealing, stealing is a sin, so we say, don't steal. It's what we teach our children. It's what the Bible says. Uh, racism is also a sin. So even though it makes people uncomfortable, it should be very easy for us to talk about it and say, yeah, it's one of those things that God tells us not to do. Uh, so it's one of those things that we talk about. Now, here's the thing. We're not just called, because it's a sin, to avoid sin, because the Bible tells us, hey, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin throughout the Bible. But we're also called to speak out against sin. And if racism is a sin, which it is, we're also called to speak out against racism, not just when something happens in the nation, but when we see it or confront it or are faced with it. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and imagine, again, this is like a church in Las Vegas where they had all kind of lifestyles going on, and he said, have nothing, nothing against people who live in Las Vegas. Sorry, the way that came out. It made it sound like they're like doing something wrong. They're not. But have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, right? So when we come across things that are not of God or that are dark or that are wrong, which is why we talked about morality, then what we're supposed to do is expose them. That doesn't mean we degrade people, but it does mean we identify and call out, well, hey, I don't know how you feel about that, but from my perspective and from what God reveals to me, that's wrong, that's sin, and I'm not supposed to have anything to do with it. But here's, here's what typically happens instead of us calling out the deeds of darkness and exposing them. What happens is something happens in the nation, right? Either a shooting like the Buffalo one or, or whatever. And then rather than responding from, hey, from the word of God is saying, hey, that, that's, that's a sin. What we do is because it's made either political or it's made into a social or cultural thing, we end up defending our political side or our cultural side. So we end up, instead of speaking from the Word of God, we end up defending either, hey, I'm a Democrat and this is why we feel this way, or hey, I'm a Republican or this is why I feel this way, or hey, I'm for the cops, or I'm against the cops, or whatever. We end up responding that way instead of responding from the Word of God and saying, hey, Whatever is going on in the culture, this is what the Word of God says about this topic. This is wrong, and it needs to be called out as wrong, right? So we end up uh, in these cultural or political wars uh, doing this. Now, you don't have to, I'm, I'm not saying that anyone in this room does that, 
But how many would honestly agree, this is what happens when our, in our nation whenever something racial happens, that people respond from a political perspective or from a cultural perspective. That, that that's what we see online, that's what we see on the news. And unfortunately, that's also what we see in the church, and it shouldn't be. So before we go any further, let me do this. I want to ensure we all understand why God calls us as the people of God to expose sin, to identify sin, and to avoid sin. So I'm going to jump around a lot of verses this morning, so um, I'm going to put all the verses up here on screen, uh, and I'm going to start all the way back in Genesis. How many remember the account of Noah and the flood? Anyone remember? Yeah, whole flood thing, all that. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 6, this is why the flood took place. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is what God saw amongst all of humanity. Now, here's the thing. The population of the earth was not obviously as big as it is now. Now it's like 7.8 million people at this point. We have no idea, but theologians guesstimate that there was probably less than several million people on the planet at this time. But amongst all of those people, and God makes it crystal clear, this is what he saw. That word wickedness, and it says where he was only evil, those are the same words. It's not just a word that means bad. It's a word that means desire to do harm to others. That was the thought process of every person on the planet, all the time, all day long, what went through people's head was, man, I just want to smash a bottle across Gary's head. I just want to stab Beth. I just want to kick, you know, whoever. It was just violence. And then he even says later on in verses 11 and 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sights and was full of violence. That's, that's what caused the flood. I get people that say, well, this is just you know, God being mean and he couldn't control evil. And what they don't understand is we're the evil. The evil doesn't come from a tree. The evil doesn't come from rain. Evil comes when we have this desire to harm, to, to, to rape, pillage, plunder, to do bad to other people, right? So this was the reason uh, for the flood. And we see the same thing today, because if you look around today, evil, violence, hatred, racism, greed, injustice, they're increasing around the world. We're not seeing more things on the news about, look at all these great things that people are doing for humanity. We're seeing more things on the news about this shooting, this killing, this stabbing, this war, this robbery, this theft, this people hurting one another destroying people over and over and over. So what we are called to do as the people of God, rather than what God did back then, rather than God saying, I'm just going to destroy all humanity now, instead what he says is, hey, I, I, I sent my son to die in the place of all these people who are doing wicked so they don't have to die. And what we are the people of God are supposed to do are supposed to carry that message to the world so that they know that they don't have to stay in the state, that we don't have to live in a world full of evil and violence and hatred and racism and greed and injustice. We can live in a world where people look at one another and say, hey, I may not agree with you, 
but I'm going to love you the way God loved me. I may not like your political perspective, but I'm going to love you the way God loved me. I may be a little bit jealous, i got to be honest, because you have two Teslas, and I'm on a skateboard, but I'm going to love you the way God loved me. Right? That's, that's the kind of world that we could live in if we, the people of God, did what we're supposed to do. Now, here's the thing. There were, uh, last week, Many of us heard about the shooting in Buffalo, and then some people heard about the shooting in California. But there were actually eight mass shootings last week. These, again, just the mass shootings that we heard of, right? There were individual shootings all over the United States that didn't make national-level news. But just last weekend, 72-hour period from May 13th to May 15th, 17 people killed 49 injured just in mass shootings. And here's the problem. What the church should do is step up and say, hey, this level of violence that's going on in our nation, it's wrong, it's sinful, it's not right. But the conversations that are taking place in churches all over the world all week long was about gun control, was about political debates, and was about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and their court session. No one was talking about the senseless loss of life and how wrong that is, unless it was, like, from a political perspective, right? But now, we're the people of God. We're supposed to go and say, hey, when that conversation comes our way, hey, that level of violence is wrong because we respect life. And if that level of violence stemmed from racist activity, that's wrong because that's sin. That's what we, the people of God, are supposed to do. Now, let me give you two examples really quick because this is uncomfortable conversation to have. Uh, how many people remember Jonah, right? Jonah and, and the whale and, like, the whole Jonah thing. Okay, so Jonah is the epitome of what it looks like to go and preach sin and repentance to people when it makes you really uncomfortable, right? Because that, that's what Jonah was called to do. Uh, so I'm going to put, again, verses up here on the screen. Jonah chapter 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That word wickedness is the same word that God used in Genesis chapter 6 for wickedness and evil, and what had happened was Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And they were, they were brutal, barbarianistic, cruel people. And so God says, hey, instead of destroying them, which is what he did in Genesis, God says, hey, Jonah, go preach repentance to them. This, this is what God calls the people of God to do. Hey, there's someone over there that's doing something that it's either wicked or evil or wrong. Hey, guess what? We're not supposed to sit back and take a political side or a cultural side. We're called to go share God's perspective and God's side. So this is what Jonah was called to do, right? Now, I'll give you a little bit of background because uh, I wrote a whole book on a devotional on the book of Jonah. If anyone wants it, it's on the back table. They're not selling, so I'm like giving them away like candy. But um, here's the thing. Jonah was an Israelite, right? He's from Israel. The Assyrians were descended from this group of people called the Akkadians that date all the way back to the Tower of Babel. The Akkadians had a different 
cultural mindset than the Israelites. So they were different culturally. The Akkadians were technically a different uh, nationality because they were from a different nation, so they had different nationalities. Israel had defined borders, and they would say, hey, yeah, we will fight to defend the land that God gave us. That was their political perspective. We're, only gonna, we're not going to go out and conquer lands. We're just going to fight to defend the land that God gave us. The Assyrians were like, hey, we want more than the land we have, so we're going to go take whatever land we want. So they had different cultural perspectives, different political perspectives, different technically racial or people groups, different languages, totally different everything. But God said to Jonah, go preach repentance for their wickedness toward people that are different than you racially, culturally, and politically. And Jonah did the thing that most of us would do when we're asked to go preach to, like, someone who doesn't like us. And actually, it wasn't just to like them. Because they were a conquering nation, the Assyrians were technically an enemy of Israel. So Jonah told, hey, go preach to these people who are different than you. They look differently. They speak differently. They have different politics. And they're potentially your enemy. God says, go preach to them. And Jonah says what we would say, not today, God. Not, not, not doing that. And he runs from God. And most of us are familiar with the story of Jonah because of the whale, right? He gets swallowed by a whale. We all remember that. But that theme of it isn't the whale. The theme of the book of Jonah is God's desire for his people to preach repentance across racial, cultural, and political lines. To go and say, hey, this thing that you're doing it's wrong in the eyes of God. It's sin in the eyes of God. And I'm acknowledging that. I'm calling out, like I said in Ephesians, the fruitless deeds of darkness that you are engaging in. Today, the same is true. This is what God expects from his people. That we're not going to shy away because it's a topic about racism or it's a topic about violence or it's a topic about whatever. That we're going to go do what God has called us to do and preach the truth of repentance and stand up and preach against evil. That, that's what we're supposed to do. If that evil is people are, 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 are stealing, we're going to say, hey, that's wrong, that's a sin, you shouldn't do it. If the evil that they're doing is involving in racist activities, then we still call it out. It's wrong, and we're not supposed to do it. Let me give you one more example of this, of how Christians are called to not just avoid sin, but to also speak out against it, even if it's a racist issue, even if it makes us uncomfortable. All right? So in Acts chapter 10, uh, this is what we read. In Acts chapter 10, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout. They were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Now, what's going to happen is God's going to end up sending Peter to this person. Uh, his name was Cornelius, right? He was likely Italian because he was in the Italian Regiment. So Peter... Is from the nation of Israel. Cornelius is Italian. They have different cultural backgrounds. They have different nationalities, right? Peter uh, um, is from a fishing, uh, he's, he owns a small fishing business. 
Uh, this guy is high up in the military. So they're probably in different financial categories. Not only that, Peter's from the nation of Israel. Well, one of the first things they said to Jesus is, Jesus, are you now going to free us from being under Roman authority? And Jesus said, hey, it's not for you to know the time or the place, right? Cornelius worked for the government that was oppressing Israel. So they had different political beliefs. But yet God says to Peter, hey, you need to go speak to him because Cornelius was doing the exact same thing that Peter, the Israelites, and that you and I do. He was a devout, God-fearing person. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. He was seeking God just like anybody else, even though he was a different culture, even though he was of a different race, even though he had a different political belief. And so God says, hey, guess what, Cornelius? Um, in order to truly know me and to experience salvation, it needs to be through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to send the Apostle Peter, one of my most trusted people, to you. And he'll share this with you. But first, he had to, God had to really break down the walls of the vision in Peter. And here's why. And uh, Verse 28, it says this. Peter shows up at his house, and he says to Cornelius, Cornelius had gathered all his family and friends to hear, because if God says, hey, I'm going to send someone to you, he's like, I want all my family friends to hear this. Peter shows up and he says to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection why have you sent for me? Here's the thing. God clearly says, you know, he's, he's not a respecter of person. He doesn't look at race. He wants everyone to know him and to experience his love. But Peter's cultural upbringing said, hey, if you're not like me, I can't hang out with you. I can't go to your house. We're not going to coffee. I, I, I don't want to be in the same school with you because you're different than me. And he says, our law says it's against the law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. The reason why he says our law is because that was Jewish law, but it wasn't God's law. And what a lot of people do is they come up with these cultural practices, even in the church, that violate God's law. Because God's law is for everyone. Love your neighbor. It doesn't matter what they look like. But we come up with practices that says, well, I will love them if they look like me or if they vote like me or if they're from the same community as me. And that's why if you look in many of our congregations, and I'm going to start wrapping this up because it looks like it's going to storm outside. Uh, in many of our congregations, we have Democratic congregations. We have Republican congregations. We have all white. We have all black. We have all Hispanic, even though in that community, there's a mix of all that. But they separate because of the cultural things that they have put into place. Now, here's, here's what happened next. Peter began to speak, and he said, I now realize because the Holy Spirit had to show him how true it is, because it was a foundational truth according to God's morality, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You can replace from every nation with from every color, from every political status, 
from every background and from every culture. God just wants people, and when it says fearsome, that means that has reverential awe for him. doesn't mean that they're afraid of him, right? But God accepts them all. Now, uh, Peter begins sharing the gospel with them. He begins telling them about Jesus, and he says, all the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone believes in him, <coughs> excuse me, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. They didn't have to have an altar call. He didn't have to say, now bow your heads and raise your hand or come to the front or as he was sharing the word, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And as we've said over and over again, for those who do that, God gives them the promised seal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit fell on them. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And I think this doesn't happen every time. It's not the only sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but it is a sign. And I believe one of the reasons that God had it happen is for this reason, uh, so that they could be looked at as they were the same as everyone else. This is, to me, one of the most powerful statements in Scripture because Peter then looks at these people who previously he would not have even gone into the same room with them. And now it says because of the Holy Spirit, they can be baptized because they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In other words, because of the Holy Spirit, they're just like us. And it takes sometimes the Spirit of God to break down those walls that we have built up uh, around our cultural differences. And I'll share this. Um, back when we all had to wear masks all the time, blah, 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 everywhere we went, um, I had a mask that had a, you could program an electronic message across it. I still have it. Just don't wear it as often. Um, and I went, I would go into grocery stores with that mask on. And, and when I was with Christy, I'd be like, what should I program it to say? When we go to the pet store, I'd program it to say, this is a doggone wonderful day or something like that. When we go to the grocery store, I would program it to say like food is life or something like that. But I went to one meeting at the Jefferson Hills Borough Building and there were a bunch of people there, and I had the mask on. And I programmed it to say, I am just like you. And the reactions were just all over the place. Some people would look and say, what does your mask say? And I'd say, oh, here. And I'd stand still so they could read it because it was scrolling. And it would say, I am just like you. I could see them reading it. And they were like, yes, you are. That's awesome. That's great. Some people would be like, oh, that's a cool mask. Other people would look and say, I am just like you, and then they'd look weird, and they'd look me up and down, and I could see them shaking their head and mouthing, no, you are not, as they walked away. Because for them, because I'm a different race, I'm not just like them. And there are many people, maybe not in this room, but who we have in our families, in our circles of influence, who still have the same issue to where because of their cultural upbringing, they don't see people the same. And it literally takes the Spirit of God to transform their hearts. And that's where we come in. If we're not calling out racism as sin, we're not giving them an opportunity to see it from God's perspective. 
And you would think, you would think that throughout the Bible, it's crystal clear. This is the way God sees all people. But those cultural walls, years of this is the way we've been taught or we've done it, are hard to break down even when God shows you that you were wrong. Because this took place, I forget the year, like nine or ten years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A few years later, the same Peter who God showed that, yeah, these people are just like me, he goes back and he says, I don't want to hang out with these people because they're not like me. And I'll close with this verse, uh, these couple of verses as the band comes up. It says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is in the book of Galatians. And Paul is letting them know that, hey, that Cephas is Peter. Cephas was his given name. Jesus changed his name to Peter once he realized that, hey, you, you, you're beginning to see things from God's perspective. The reason why Paul refers to him as Cephas is because he wasn't acting like a Christ follower. He was acting like he did before he came to know God. And what he condemned him for was his sin. It says this, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. James was like the brother of Jesus Christ, and he became like the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But they still had that Jewish culture ingrained into them. So when they came, Peter used to hang out with everyone. He used to go to coffee. They went bowling. They went axe throwing. They had fun. But then when the Jewish people came, who were like, why are you hanging out with them? Peter was like, I, I, I don't know, Beth. I just bumped into her outside. It's like, I don't hang out with them. I don't do anything with them. The same Peter who the Holy Spirit showed, hey, do not, the same Peter who said that I know that God wants everyone to experience him is the same Peter who fell into his cultural, back to his old cultural practices of looking at others who were different and saying, I want nothing to do with them. Paul says this, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This is why we have to call it out. Because if we don't, it spreads. It spreads because it's deemed, hey, looking at others who are different, whether because of their politics or their skin color, and saying it's acceptable to treat them differently, spreads. Because then it becomes acceptable in the culture. But what we're supposed to do is what happened here is what Paul did. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, because they weren't, it's sin, he said, I confronted him to his face in front of everyone. We don't have to be mean about it. We don't have to be angry about it. We don't have to uh, do anything other than share that, hey, this behavior is sinful. It's not from God. And it's unacceptable for anyone who calls themselves a Christ follower to behave in this way. This is the message that we're supposed to communicate. We're not just supposed to avoid sin. We're supposed to speak out against sin. And racism is sin, so the church is supposed to speak out against it. Let me, uh, before we, I ask you guys to stand. Actually, why don't you guys stand up? I'm going to close with the song. But I want to end with this thought. If you come across someone 
who is drowning. None of us goes and says, hey, we got, let's, let me go get Congress to pass legislation because the politicians will save them. Nobody does that. Nobody says, hey, let me go get a vaccine for you from, from the uh, doctor's office because that's going to save you. Maybe once you're pulled out of the water, it will save you, but that won't help you because you identify that this is something that the politicians can't fix. Someone is drowning. The, the medical community can't fix them unless they're willing to jump in and save them. Sin is something that legislation cannot fix. Racism is sin. There's no legislation that is going to change the heart of a human being. There's no vaccine that's going to change the heart of a human being. The only thing that is going to do that is the redemptive power of the blood of Christ so that they begin to see people the way that God sees people, worthy of being loved and accepted. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we just lift up. Uh, we'll just start with our community. And we know that there's racial tension in our community and the surrounding communities. And we know that it bubbles up and it boils over whenever something happens in the nation. We know that there are people within our families and friends and in other congregations all throughout these communities who have these same racial tensions. Black people, white people, Asian people, all over. But what we pray is that those people who are called by your name would see people the way that you do and love them the way that you do. And that we would, as Christ followers, avoid sin and speak out against it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.